out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of the American singer, songwriter, also author and director. It's the one and only Adele Berté who I spoke to to find out more about life, love and poetry. But more importantly, her new book that has just come out titled Twisted. This is on Z Publishing, Z-E, um, which was famous in the late 70s and 80s, uh, the American ra- uh, label, which brought out lots of exciting post-punk sounds and has gone into publishing. The book, Twisted, documents Adele's early life from 1955 to 1972 and has uh, this is the first part of a trilogy which is going to come up to the current day. And also, just to say, she wrote a book a couple of years ago called Why LaBelle Matters, which is about the cultural and musical progress achieved by Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells in the 1960s. And that's also available from all good bookshops. There's a lot to uh, think about and talk about. So this is the interview. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat that we edit out, we get down to that reason all the creative flow that Adele is on at the moment this decade she's been very busy and um, this is her response to that fascinating question anyway Adele it's over to you Uh, I am in in terms of writing you know when I was young I was too busy experiencing everything to to have the discipline to actually sit in a chair and and write every day you know it's such a solitary um, enterprise being a writer but um, yeah I just uh I've always written, but never like really disciplined myself to, to produce some like a, a complete work. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely. Been... Because your first book you did, which was about 10 years ago, was it? Yes, 10 years ago, you did Peter and the Wolves, didn't you? Uh, about your... it, it wasn't that long ago. It was only about three years ago, actually. How <laughs> was it? I thought it was published in 2013. Yes, the very but but it wasn't properly published. I I, I did a first version of it to right. out to my Kickstarter uh, patrons. I've but, got it. Yeah, yes. but it it wasn't for sale. Um, and then uh, Smogvale Books picked it up, and we did a proper you know version of it to public right. sell to the public. Yeah. And then for the next two years ago, you did Why LaBelle, Patty LaBelle Matters. How did that project come about? It came about precisely because whenever I would mention the word LaBelle, the name LaBelle, people automatically thought Patty LaBelle, just as you did. Yes. And, and <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's not an, uh, an odd occurrence at all, David. I mean, that's what everybody thought. And, um, Patty LaBelle, yes, has that name, but it came from a group of three women, Nona Hendricks, Sarah Dash, and Patty LaBelle, who um, basically did the song Lady Marmalade and came out with records in the early 70s, mid 70s that were absolutely revolutionary as a trio. Patty yes. was a singer, but their their vocal triumvirate was absolutely scorching and just amazing you know their three voices together and um i thought i have to write about these women because they've kind of been lost to history as a trio yes. and everybody thinks of patty immediately when you say labelle so it was an homage <laughs> to the group that really 
broke all paradigms of the girl group, you know, bouffant hairdos and prom dresses and all that, you know. Yes, absolutely. And right in that project, because I know there was there was a huge amount of books in that series, including Karen Carpenter and various yes. other people. Was that yeah. quite an interesting discipline to sort of sit down and write about, you know, something that wasn't sort of so kind of directly connected to your life, even though I know from the book you you talk about how how sort of important that music was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I absolutely love doing research. <laughs> like, uh, you know, thank God for uh, like rocks back pages and places where you can just look up all yes. the things, <laughs> you know. Um, but um, yeah, I, I love doing uh, research. And I, I actually, the next book that I'm going to work on after this last memoir, I'm sick of writing memoir at this point, Um is is a historical fiction novel so you know it's it's all about the different voice you find for each book and and yes. um yeah yeah which, which brings us to twisted your new you're the first part of your trilogy here really isn't it and um yes. i have yes. to say it's it's quite an extraordinary read and quite um <clears throat> quite amazing and honest but quite sort of at times quite like, wow, that's quite a heavy moment. I must go and have a break and um, have a cup of coffee and digest <laughs> it. Because it was, it was kind of, it did, pages did leave it, you know, like absolutely exhausted, um, emotionally drained. So writing it must have been, you know, you had to live it. So Twisted, this is from Charles Dickens, isn't it? Oliver Twist. God, I hope I got uh, that right. Yeah, it it is. And also my mother's name was Kitty, her nickname, Catherine, but Kitty. Right. And um uh, she was also called uh, Kitty Twist because of uh, Jane Fonda's movie, Walk on the Wild Side. I don't know if you ever saw it, but a brilliant film that Jane Fonda was in. And her nickname in that film was Kitty Twist, her character name. Right. And the book, just for those who haven't read it, it's been it's kind of narrated by a person called Maddie Twist, isn't it? Yes, what was, it is. What was the reason for writing it in a slightly person I kind of could imagine why but just just to explain <laughs> just in case I've got that come wrong but yes right. yes well as you know David because you've read the book it was a pretty hard journey to go go back in you know through the war zones I call them of my youth and and I thought like creating a character would give me a bit of armor you know a little bit of protection because I wanted to write it in the first person as the kid going through it because I know that I'm not alone in that experience. And so many kids go through such intense traumas and women go through such, you know, sexual violence and all of these things. Um, and I wanted to not just write a misery memoir, as they're called, yeah. but but to also show how I was able as a kid to keep pushing on and transmuting those experiences and being able to, you know, just find the good in other people and keep going despite the tragedies and how to yes. turn it some kind of magic, you know, some, some type of magic, indeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I haven't. I didn't. Yes, magic. I, yeah, that wasn't the word that sprung to mind. <laughs> but, it, um, <laughs> what, but it was. What it was sprung to your mind, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because your your parents just explain who your you know your parents in the book are quite. Um, amazing characters aren't they I mean you couldn't literally make them up you, you've got your father he's he's referred to as Big Al isn't he in the book yes, yes and mother is. is Kitty so Big Al so what's what's just describe Big Al to us for um for those listening 
Big Al was an Italian immigrant, um, was picked on as a boy because he couldn't speak English in school. And that deterred him from, uh, you know, wanting to learn anything uh, because he didn't want to be bullied. And he grew up in a, a working class family that wasn't very educated. His brother was a, a, a gangster and he wanted to be like his brother. He wanted to be, you know, a mob guy and was very, <laughs> he was not good at it. Um, he was also very abusive. He uh, didn't support his family and was abusive to my mother. So, you know, it was very difficult for my mother um, having three children, being stuck in in the role of a housewife with an abusive husband. And um, and when I say magic, I I, I have to go talk to, about my mom for for a minute. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because she her, you know, she basically chose i think people sometimes choose madness as a way out of an ordinary life that they feel confined in mm -hmm. um, i think it's a i think it's a combination of you know uh oh it can be chemical it can be alcohol and drugs it can be just the confinement of of abuse really and with my mother, and I think I try to make this clear in the book, is that she could be incredibly abusive. She was mentally ill. She could be abusive, but at the same time, she had the most extraordinary imagination. And I loved that about her. I mean, she had oral hallucinations. She would sit on a bed and wave her hands in the air and hear an entire orchestra and bring me into that oral hallucination, you know? So in some ways, I was able to transmute the darkness of my mother's supposed affliction and turn it into a badge of courage to go forward in my life you know yeah to take to take risks yeah wow that's something just to so you grew up in ohio didn't you and 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 this and this first part is that because i've written it down and i might have written it wrong is it from 1955 to 1973 this is the yes. the first part of it so yeah, yeah. And, and what was quite interesting with it because but your dad is also a racist isn't he yes yes so, that, um... yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean yes. all the working class italians in ohio at the time were racists it was a very polarizing time um italian men would blame black men on stealing their jobs. And um, it was just awful, like the names that were called and just, just you know, my mother was the, the opposite of that. She she really felt a lot of compassion for, um, you know, the, the black uh, experience in America at that time, civil rights and watching black people be beaten and chased by dogs. And I mean, this was on our t television sets. Yes. You know, so it was a really polarizing time, and um, uh, yeah. So with the, the the sort of the mafia connection, because you know, having a certain interest, we kind of got the New York, there's Chicago, and eventually Las Vegas. So is mm -hmm. your you know your family you know on your father's you know father and brother were they mm -hmm. just kind of small town sort of thugs who who didn't quite ever make the big time? Well, my uncle was in prison. My uncle Caesar was uh, imprisoned for probably about 30 to 40 years of his life. So he was a little bigger time than my dad. <laughs> my dad could never make it to made man status. You know what I mean? He yeah. began the numbers runner taking bets out from the racetrack uh, 
uh, picking, I'm sorry, picking bets up from local bars and, and taking them to the racetrack. But I think what happened, um, and I don't know this for sure, but he had two of his fingers were cut off clean at the first knuckle on his right hand. Right. Um, I had heard that he got his, he, he got his hand, his fingers cut off by the mob because they caught him with his hand in the mob's cookie jar when he was like yes. money from them, you know? It's an occupational hazard, isn't it? Because I, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, no, just casual. Um, but yeah, because it was kind of interesting because you mentioned in the book about getting your teeth fixed and, and it was kind of on a bet that your dad had won, that he got the money for you to have various teeth removed and having them sorted. So it gives yeah. you some sort of idea of, of, you were living sort of hand to mouth really at this stage, weren't you? There was a lot of poverty and a lot of kind of, it's a very grim, you know, you, you know, it's quite a grim childhood. There's nothing kind of cushy, is there? All, all sort of comfortable and fluffy about this. Nothing fluffy, nothing comfortable except for books and music and poetry. Oh, and there, yes, because in the book, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the beat like Jerry and the pacemakers and also people like Edgar Allan Poe and, and sort of poets. And also the interesting thing, you, you're, you're sort of drawn a lot to the, I suppose, is it the Catholic faith and the church and the sort of iconography of Jesus and the saints? So this is kind of something that pulls you in from quite an early age, isn't it? It is because of the um, the iconography always depicts saints and jesus and and you know various catholic entities as it, with these expressions of extreme suffering but at the same time extreme ecstasy and that that uh, was always incredibly compelling to me and also being in a catholic church um because i was going through so much in my childhood uh going to church with my italian grandmother was a, a kind of a sacred space it was sanctuary for me i mean you, uh, still to this day i love churches the, the architecture of churches and the atmosphere because it's imbued with so much prayer and hope and despair and all of it um and and those atmospheres just always make me deeply contemplative you know yeah i have problems with the catholic church that's for sure but i would imagine actually because it is it is, is it right that you were actually there was a part I think in chapter four this yeah where you sort of find out that you actually you were born out of wedlock weren't you yes yes exactly so that, was I, that quite I, a big thing in your life did you sort of suddenly I think that was one of those moments at school wasn't it where you were suddenly being taunted taunted I was taunted for being queer when I was in junior high school but um in terms of the um the, the uh, bastard uh, moniker. I didn't, I was told that, but I didn't really think my father, Big Al, was not my father. I believed him to be my real father. I didn't find out until three years ago that my real father was another man. Um, so that's another story for another day. But um, yeah, oh, well, that's that's kind of thrown me because yeah, it was through a, it was through a DNA test. Have you ever had a DNA test? David? No, but no, I, I, I should. Do. So wait a <laughs> minute. So, so 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 when you were writing this book, Big Al is definitely your father, isn't it? In your yes. mind, you've written this yes. like he is your father. But then yes. three years ago, you find mm -hmm. that actually Big Al, after all this horrendous hell that he put you through, isn't your father? No, he wasn't my father. My mother had an affair with a 
a, a brilliant young Sicilian guy. And um, I found out through a DNA test that he was he was my biological father. Oh my goodness. Oh so my I would say, you know, to, to anyone listening, unless you want to really find out some surprises, maybe stay away from the uh, DNA test. Yes, you know? because there's there's kind of endless kind of moments of like your dad really beating your mother up and having to witness this or Big L beating your mother up and also burning the house down as well, which is is again, this is kind of early on in the in the the book. And you're still living at home at this stage, aren't you? You haven't sort of been taken away to a foster parent, foster home, which again, you know, it it's like each chapter seems to be like Dante's Inferno of Hell of, of <laughs> How far, how yes, far. the seven circles of hell. <laughs> yes, it does. It does like there is not much bright because then whenever there's an element of optimism, it's followed mm -hmm. by something that isn't quite so good, isn't it? Sort of the, these kind of issues that sort of keep sort of kind of rearing their head because you could then go, is it Willard House? And you 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 live with a foster family who all yeah. seem perfectly lovely. And the father's John, isn't he? Who, who sort of is a drummer and gives you lots of kind of, I don't know, encouragement at this stage. That was the second foster home. Yeah, they were really, really lovely people. And I felt so at home. The first foster home was a disaster. The second one, I I really did feel at home and encouraged and safe. And, and then my foster sister found out that I was um, romancing with another girl. And in the 60s and 70s, you could not be... Uh, authentically queer at all. If you were found out or discovered to be gay, um, you were in for uh, a boatload of, of trouble. Yes. And, you know, was it, it was illegal in this country in the 60s. So what was it like? And was it any different in America? I don't know that it was illegal, but it was certainly taboo. It was yes. certainly something that would get you ostracized, beaten up, some people lost their lives over it. I mean, there was so much homophobia. Everyone was in the closet. I mean, even Liberace was in the closet at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is quite amusing, isn't it? I know, and all, all they're like, you know, the, the manager of the Beatles. I mean, they all had to be so careful because it was yeah. still this kind of aspect of, of living a secret life. So when did you realize that you were gay at that stage? Because you're still quite young, aren't you? Yeah, I, it, I, around the time that I was 12, 13, I noticed that I, I kind of liked girls more than boys, you know, uh, that I like whenever I would hear a love song on the radio, it would always be me in the boy position romancing some girl. And um, it, it just felt very natural to me, although I knew that in the eyes of society, I was going to be condemned for it. But it was yes. my name. With discovering this as my nature and having my first love affair with a girl um, at uh, 13. Which is good, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, because there is also this little bit, and, and I think this is kind of a bit later on, when there's a really sad and beautiful moment, but heartbreaking, of sort of, is it John who tells you that, um, explaining how your mother is, and then sort of tells you that she does love you, even though her she can't kind of express it as a sort of, in a, in a way that feels normal or you can kind of relate to it. Mm. Yeah, um, I had a, a benefactor, a mentor that was a friend of my mother's. His name was Hugh Harris and he worked for Nassau. And when I was being emancipated from my uh, reformatory, he helped me get my first apartment and uh, 
he was he was very helpful in my life. And at that moment, my mother was uh, in a mental institution, in and out all the time, receiving shock treatments. Um, she had a really difficult life, incredibly difficult. Yes. And you know, um, part of this book has been um, a forgiveness journey about all the people that uh, I encountered that were hurtful and uh, a systematic look at how society creates cruelty in people uh, when they're not allowed to be their authentic selves or uh, are denied creativity and how people turn cruel is a big um, it's a big uh, theme throughout this book. I believe. Well, it does, because then, you know, I think it's kind of a little bit later on in the book, there is this sort of the most horrendous chapter, which is mm -hmm. um, when you get locked up by Albert, which is mm -hmm. kind of like with the gun and you're, and you're sort of basically a prisoner and also raped as well. So, I mean, that's quite the most, you know, shocking kind of chapter I've read for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, when you were writing that, is that, is that, did you, what was the process that you had to sort of try and go through to put that to to pay you know to pay page because obviously this is a young you're a young person at this stage incredibly vulnerable you've had this really difficult life and not had that many breaks and then you know you sort of meet this guy and you've got this idealistic idea of hippies and you know this person looks and sounds all okay and then he takes you away and then before you know it you know he, you're being set up and and the most horrendous experience happens really Mm -hmm. I felt it was important to write about it, and it was hard to write about, uh, but important to write about also from a, a, a point, the point of view of how, like, veterans get tossed away by our system, the American system, and um, how abusive it is to send men off to war, to kill and be killed, and that that, that rage that they have could be taken out on a woman. Um, it, not that it, it, I'm not saying I'm not approving it by any means, but I, it makes sense of why they would do that. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I also wanted to uh, talk about the fact that it's called autoscopy. When you leave your body during a tra traumatic incident, yeah. um, that happened to me. And it was an extremely, um, wild experience to kind of be out of your body disconnected disassociated and going somewhere else you know it's kind of like um i say this often it's is that people say magical thinking isn't isn't a great thing for adults but i think it's very helpful when you're going through trauma yeah uh, to go somewhere else to leave your circumstances you know and and sort of not just you know that particular moment, but an awful mm -hmm. lot of this book. I mean, when you sort of see yourself and see photographs of yourself, mm -hmm. you must and then sort of write in the narrative. It, how how do you sort of not sort of just break down? You know, because it is so you know so many kind of moments in this book. You know where you know you know unfelt fortunate incidences even people at school all those kind of things but everything seems to be so magnified in your life mm -hmm. it's just really I just wondered how you were coping with that yourself writing this this memoir well you know I uh I real I you know in the midst of these tragedies and the violence and everything you end up thinking pretty deeply about human nature and and why people commit these horrible atrocities and um I guess I guess you could say that I really 
uh, yes, it was hard to write, but I had to think about what saved me from going under, you know, from letting these types of tragedies destroy destroy me in my life or destroy my hope in a future. Yes. And it had to do really with um, just a, a kind of alchemy, you know, a, a way of transmuting darkness into light and and remembering those rays of light that I was able to grab onto to carry me through to it to a different um a different uh, circumstance in my life. Yes. And you know, I always would find the find the best in people to to help me, you know. I mean, I, I was everybody's writing these days about stoicism online, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess I was pretty stoic uh when I was a kid. I, I just felt I had to keep pushing on that there had to be something better, you know. Yes, absolutely. And there is a little bit of a, when you went then after that horrendous experience, you go to another school, don't you? Mary Crest School for Girls. Mary Crest, yes. Is this a a salvation for you at this stage? Was that a sort of a... Yeah, it was sanctuary. Um, We're so used to hearing stories uh, and cliches about the mean nun, you know, nuns are horrible, mean people. And um, I didn't experience that initially in because this was a convent school. It was the same type of school run by the same order of sisters that uh, ran the Magdalene laundries in, in Ireland. Right. In America, they were far less draconian than the Magdalene laundries. But um, I felt sanctuary there and, and I loved the order of it, you know, because as a kid, my life was so chaotic. I was being thrown from one situation to the next and went through a lot of dark darkness and dark situations. And and here I was in this beautiful uh, space with these very, very kind nuns. And um, of course, I would find out things later in my stay there that um, they weren't always kind. <laughs> It'd also be pretty cruel, but um, for a while there, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated that that sense of sanctuary and safety. Yes, until you went to see the therapist, and the therapist was completely bonkers, wasn't he? Oh, completely. And I, you know, rec- be- while I was writing the book, I went to Cleveland and looked. Went to the Cleveland Public Library and looked up looked him up in microfiche. I'm right? not surprised. He's he's you must have wondered if he's gone to prison. He I don't think he went to prison, but there were articles about him, you know, going from job to job and eventually trying to set up a program for um, uh, disturbed girls at a motel at a Mm -hmm. motel. I mean, this guy was really dodgy. Um, (laughs) I've yet to find out more about him. um, But yeah, yeah, that was a very disturbing experience with him. Yes, because then, I mean, obviously at this stage, you're, this is coming to the sort of the end of the 60s period, I'm gathering. And so you must have started sort of culturally becoming more interested because you mentioned quite a lot of music and musicals and James Brown in the book. And also um, there's Andy Warhol appears in your life as well. So this, so things, you've started to sort of develop quite a lot at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not so much in Mary Crest because we weren't really allowed to know what was going on out in the world. But once I got to Blossom Hill and then the, the second reform reformatory and uh, started being able to read more and find out what was going on in the world. Uh, yeah, the world started to open up. And then yes. when I went to 
when I was emancipated, discovered Andy Warhol and, um, you know, a whole new world of art and music that I had not known until then. And did was music, because I know you mentioned, you know, Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and, and musicals and, and obviously the world of Oliver, but did you start to feel quite drawn towards the arts at this stage? Did you sort of, you know, the musical instrument and the voice? Yeah, um, I, I loved music uh, from the very from the very first day I could hear it, you know. Uh, my grandmother was a honky-tonk and stride piano player during the Depression. She played in speakeasies. And uh, her she was Irish, and her mother uh, uh, came over from Ireland. And, and the piano was so much a part of my mother's in my life. Um, and uh, I, I started out sitting on the piano bench next to my grandma, you know, hearing her rhythms and she was an amazing singer as well yeah uh, so music was in my blood it was you know bone deep for me and continued to be a life raft throughout my my life and writing poetry as well because there's there's another kind of moment where is it that you've you've written some poetry and then somebody has kind of destroyed it and you you sort of feel like you want to kill yourself at this stage yeah, I think that was the only time I actually felt that despondent about living was um, when my poetry was destroyed by a foster sister. I don't want to go too in into detail because I want people to read the book, but <laughs> Sorry, <yes. laughs> no, that's OK. That's OK. No, but, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a, my most despondent moment. Yes, I mean it is. It is quite so. With with the book, it's split into sort of three parts, isn't it? With your the the sort of waltz into the GI blues. So, just yeah. how do you how did you all de decide how to sort of finish this first part of your the the three the trilogy? Um, you know, the first book I wrote, the first memoir I wrote was called Peter and the Wolves. And um, it's a, it was about being discovered as a singer in Cleveland in 1975. And my relationship with Peter Lochner, who became like my brother. And Peter Lochner was one of the instigators of Perubu, a brilliant, brilliant musician. And um, I finished that book before I finished Twist. Although Twist precedes that story. Yes. And now I'm working on No New York, which is about getting to New York in 1977 and joining the contortions and the whole scene in New York. And it goes through to music in London and, um, you know, being in the corporate music business as opposed to the uh, underground. No waves. Yeah. Are, yeah. you, are you sort of amazed how you managed to survive? I mean, and not <laughs> become slightly, well, slightly, but quite bitter. A lot of times... You've never played the victim, have you? Not really. I mean, I did. Well, that's not true. I mean, I drank and drugged for many years of my life after, I, you know, after I got out of uh, the reformatory. And it wasn't until my 30s that I, I actually stopped. And, uh, you know, it was a way of covering up all of the shame and the hurt and the pain of my childhood. I drank it away. I, I drugged it away. When I stopped that and went into therapy and started, you know, being a sober individual and learning how to live a life yes. uh, amongst others. And, and you know, I, I started to uh, 
drastically changed my life and I've been sober ever since. And it's really, uh, it's really helped me, you know, I, I, like I, I see identity as very dynamic. It's not static. It's always a process of becoming, you know, like for instance, I'm, I'm not Maddie twist anymore or am, nor am I the girl that met Peter Lochner. You know, I, I, I'm always in the process of becoming and, and that's about energy always being in flux and always being curious about life, you know? Yes. And with the book, it's on Z publishing or books. This yeah. is the, 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 the record label, isn't it? Who's diversified into publishing now, which is just, it must be quite a nice holistic kind of um, circle really from the sort of the no wave New York scene to suddenly write in a book, which is kind of on that particular or connected to that label. Yeah, that's a very beautiful way of putting it. It's like a holistic uh, circle. Michael Zilka had Z Records back in, you know, 77, 78. And he was the, the person who put me into the studio. The first time I was ever in a proper recording studio was due to Michael Z Records was was with the Contortions and James White and the Blacks. And then um, now that he has Z Publishing, he's my publisher in America, you know, and uh he's he's just wonderful and I'm, I'm very grateful that he was able to put to be brave enough to put this book out right now yes. too. I mean mm. it is it is a you know it's I mean I've only just had the pdfs which is always a bit more tricky to, to read than yes, a book a lot of mistakes in the pdf <laughs> but but no but at the same time it is just absolutely riveting and and I I do know because a lot of people have been writing their books from sort of slightly my generation and and your generation and they they've opened up a whole narrative that has not been there before which I think mm -hmm. has been just really interesting and a lot of people are reappraising things I mean we've had a bit on the 60s and with feminism but then these these aspects that you brought in like these mm -hmm. Vietnam sort of veterans who have become you know were very disturbed and were walking time bombs but then what do you expect when they've taken so many drugs and LSD that they they don't know who they are and they're being abandoned and and obviously I just you know it's not good so um it is it, just kind of opened up a whole sort of a wave of kind of talking about things and how people's lives have been because we just would never have experienced some of the things that you would have gone through I'm not saying I experienced them obviously but <laughs> but you know just that you know like wow you know because we hear you know your music we know your sort of your you know the band moments but not your childhood and I think that just is kind of boggling because it's like on another level which is like you do feel suddenly quite lucky that one didn't have that what what you had to go through if that doesn't sound weird mm. <laughs> well it's you know what I learned and you know in, in terms of Vietnam veterans any veterans really I have such compassion and empathy for them you know, being told to kill people that you you don't really understand why or being in the, you know, marching into the jaws of death. Um, and what I learned is, you, you know, we don't have power over the events in our lives. And that doesn't, you know, it's, it's not a contest of who has more trauma than the other, really. We all have our traumas and our hurts and we don't have power over these events, but we do have power over making choices and how we feel about those events yes and I think true. that's an important part of the book as well is, is acknowledging that you know and that that's being an adult that's you know being responsible 
when you're a child, you have no power. You're, you're basically a victim of your circumstances. When you're an adult, you, you have the power. Yeah, but that's quite an interesting one because I've learned to let go of things when I've taken responsibility for what I, you know, cho- the choices I've made, like possibly friendships, except as an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can do that to a degree with as an adult, but as a child, it's quite difficult to to do that because you're thinking, well, I'm just, I was just tiny. I just had no, nothing. I can't, I can't go on one of those kind of workshops that sort of, you know, sort of fills you with all these kind of cliches and think, yes, because mm-hmm. you're thinking, no, I was 10 or I was eight, I was 13. Right. I mean, there's it's very little to take. You can't take that much responsibility, even though you might have made a choice of who you were friendly with at school. But I mean, that's kind of quite difficult, isn't it? It is. And it, you know, it gets into the whole idea of attachment theory. I don't know if you've ever read about attachment theory, but, you know, uh, uh, the way we attach to other human beings, it's all based on what we went through with our parents as children. You know, like, for instance, I I would probably be called severe avoidant attachment personality. <laughs> but, the, you know, these are things you you learn to to work out. And um, that's where the magic comes in, in a way. You know what I mean? Because my childhood, I had to make, I had to make a certain magic out of it. And will it maybe help someone to read it or to have more courage about facing certain things in their lives that were hard? I don't know. I mean, I would love that to happen. I mean, that's part of why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Also, as LGBTQ history, you know. I don't think a lot of our community, uh, the gay community, uh, knows has read stories like this about what we actually went through um, as queer people in the '60s and '70s. It was rough. I mean, I had a dear friend, Mona, in the book that was uh, murdered. Um, yeah, I don't talk about that in the book because it happened way after the the the. Uh, right. Yes, because I know. Yes, Mona does appear a lot towards the end, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, and you know, Mona was a drag queen and very intelligent, wonderful, but um, was in love with a straight, supposedly straight guy with a family, um, who she, she was seeing romantically, but uh, it didn't work out in her favor. He ended up uh, murdering her. So. This is a lot of what we went through as, yes. as young people in in the sixties and seventies, and and then also again fighting in you know fighting on the uh, front of AIDS, and you know in ACT UP and all of the struggles that we've gone through, so that LGBTQ people today can be their authentic selves and you know be their identities, the identities that they choose. Yeah, um, it's important in that aspect too that we know our history. Amazing, yeah, absolutely. Because there was a horrible bit where you get into—is it a fight with Kitty? And then, I mean, you end up in—is it hospital at this stage? Going back into the book, uh, no, I don't. I never ended up in a hospital. But uh, did you have a fight? Did you? Was there a horrible fight in the scene in the book? Which yeah, I there's a there's a fight scene with my foster sister. That's uh, it. Yeah, when she when it's discovered that I'm seeing another girl and and you know she beats me up pretty badly and I run away. Yes, uh, yeah, no. I know yeah. it's um, it's it's quite amazing. I just yeah, it's been amazing read, and I just think it's an amazing book. Just okay. I mean, just because of curiosity, what mm-hmm. happens to your mum, by the way? 
my mother had a very lonely life. Um, she was institutionalized off and on throughout her life. She had shock therapy. Uh, she lived alone. Um, uh, it was very hard for me to have a relationship with her because she wanted me to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And I did not have the means to do that. And um, because she had abandoned me, of course, it was really hard for me to to want to be in her life. Uh, and uh, retrospectively, I wish I had have spent more time with her before she passed, you know? Yes. Uh, but yeah, she had a very, very lonely life. And um, this book is really a way of telling her, this is all the stuff that happened to me, but I made it through, you know? Because uh, I believe in ghosts, David. I believe that there are benevolent ghosts in our lives that want the best for us. And that did are you, kind of... Did, was it a bit like Wings of Desire, the um, the film where you just felt like she was there when you were yes. writing it? Yes, for sure. And my grandmother was there. Yes, your grandmother is quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. But then what happens to Big Al? <sighs> Big Al... You know, I didn't keep in touch with him either. He uh, he remarried, had uh, a child with, with another wife, and um, just kind of faded into the background. I, I didn't really stay in touch with him. I have a half-brother who's a lovely, lovely guy. Yes. Um, but then we found out that he's not really my half-brother biologically, although I do have, you know, a, a bit of a relationship with him. Um, yeah, so Al, Tim, Big Al, when did he pass away? Probably about five or six years ago. Blimey, the circle's vaguely completed on that one. Yes. Oh, there's a lot that you've just done so much processing, haven't you? That's just amazing. That's just mm -hmm. so. So just just going forward, then um, you've still got the next two books coming out. Did you say the second one is going to be the one that you wrote a few years ago, Peter and the yes, Wolves? Yes, Peter and the Wolves. That's number two. And is that going to come out on Z Books as well? It is actually. Um, Michael's going to—he's going to publish the the entire trilogy, which is wonderful. That but is really I'm actually doing the third book with Faber, Faber and Faber in uh, London. Um, the No New York book it will be with Faber and Faber in in London and Europe and the rest of the world, and then Michael will have it for the U.S. So I'm excited to be working with Faber too. That's going to be wonderful. Oh, yes, because Why Bell Matters was on Faber, wasn't it? No, unfortunately, they didn't pick it up. I don't I know why. <laughs> I think they picked up some of those, didn't they? They did. They picked up They picked up three books. But, you know, hey, it, it isn't over yet. They Maybe they will publish it, you know? Maybe we should do so it. It hasn't had a world, world rights um, uh, acquisition yet. So hoping for that. Because it's a very British book. I mean... You know, I write about Vicky Wickham and Simon Napier Bell and all the people that were involved in LaBelle's journey in London. That was a very important period for them. Yes. And it's, mm. it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, but it's also kind of interesting in the book because you really are part of that, that kind of generation who love the classics, aren't you, as well? The mm -hmm. authors of, of those kind of times. Have you always had, did you always have that kind of passion and for people like Hayley Mills as well. And, and oh, sort of yeah. Oh, are you kidding? That was one of my favorite films. Um, 
I loved Haley Mills. I loved the Brits. I loved the Mersey beat. You know, I loved Jer- bands like Jerry and the Pacemakers and uh, the Animals. And um, yeah, but, uh, I was always enamored of, of British culture, pop culture in the 60s. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and also, of course, the classics like Edgar Allan Poe and Dickens and um, the, the great poets, Shelley and Keats. And um, yeah. Oh so, yeah. be, and just on, on that sort of creative front, you also released a couple of singles as well recently as well, haven't you? I did, yeah, yeah. I wrote a, a protest song called American Elegy, and that's out on all streaming platforms, you know, Spotify and Apple and wherever else. And and I just released something called Savage is the Wolf, which uh, is coming out with remixes in late April. It's a, it's a dance track primarily, but um, has a lot of lyrics, which is unusual for most dance tracks. Yes. Savage, Savage is the Wolf, the single version is out, also is streaming now on um, Apple yeah. and Spotify and all, yeah, Amazon and all the rest, yeah. I was giving it a listen because you did Black Box Disco, Savage is the Wolf, American Elegy. American Elegy, yeah. Um, Black Box Disco is from a uh, soundtrack that I did back in the 80s, like 81 or something. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well look this has been fantastic well thank you ever so much for your time Adele and um yeah and amazing I'm really looking forward because I I must admit I have never been able to get a copy of your the other book um Peter and the Wolves Peter and the Wolves no oh. it's, quite, it's quite hard to get hold of isn't it I think it's a little hard but it won't be for too much longer hopefully which will be brilliant so I'm really looking forward because that will be the 70s into the 80s and that will yes, be a, exactly. a fascinating period and um yes you'll be um yeah that'll be good but look thank you ever so much this has been amazing and lovely to meet you and um well, take care. yeah yeah you too and um are we signing off right now we can yes we can I can hit pause oh. There you go. Okay. No, I just wanted to ask you where you're located in London. Oh, yes. So I'm, I'm actually just north of London, um, Norwich, basically. Um, it's like 100 miles north. But um, I must come, you know, it'd be great to sort of come and see you. Do, are you doing a reading in London? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a reading at Foils. I don't know the date yet, but I can shoot you an e- email when I know more about, you know, where I'll be and when I'll be reading, etc. if you'd yeah. like. It'll yeah. be amazing. And have you been touring a lot with with this book in, around America? Um, yeah, a few places in America. I just did um, New York with Nan Golden. Do you know who Nan Golden is, the photographer? Yes. Yes, yes. She she and I, um, we were girlfriends way back in the day. And she's got that brilliant documentary about her life out now. It's called uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Yes. And uh, yeah, you should see that. I think you'd enjoy that. Um, it's streaming everywhere so well it's quite interesting because in the last there was a couple of people have put out photographic books there's a woman called is it julia gorton who's put out this amazing book and i did an interview with her quite recently about her book that she's brought out called Mm -hmm. i don't know what it's called no something Um, yeah i i know i can't remember what it's called she sent me a a copy because there's a few pictures of me in there yes Um, yeah, yeah, it's, so great... it's 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 been great that people have been going through that archive to sort of put together, and there's there's been a lot of films made as well from bands of the seventies and eighties who were really tiny, but then they've just had this kind of cultural importance to them. So, um, 
that's yeah. been that's been good so I've I've kind of enjoyed it as a sort of a fan but yes well I'll keep my eye out for the your London date and um Thank yeah you. that'd be amazing so that will be May but at least it'll be warm and very light so and hopefully you get a chance to uh, visit a few churches and cathedrals because frankly the UK is full of cathedrals and churches and castles so there you what's go. your favorite cathedral in London I suppose it would be is it St Paul's one of those one okay. yeah, yeah. I mean we've got that. we've got two in Norwich you know which are amazing ah. cathedrals but mm -hmm. every city seems to have got a cathedral of some description and an amazing history I mean to be yeah. honest I love visiting churches because a they're very old but they the sort of the graves the sort of stained glass the kind of the mm -hmm. slabs the, you mm -hmm. know the stories behind these people are, are just fascinating so um yes you can you can spend I think Norwich has got some ridiculous amount of churches I think they might have got a church for every day of the year or something there's wow. just a lot of churches yeah, they yeah. got they got carried away I think you know and we've got all the <laughs> we've got all the stately homes and all the kind of kings and queens I mean you right. know it's great because it's very small but it's packed with history and sort of you know all that kind of the Roman invasion, the Vikings, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I hope you get a chance to tour. And then are you going to be going to Europe as well? Um, so far, it's only a UK tour. I'll be in Dublin, I'll be in Glasgow, London and Brighton so cool. far. It'll be so, so exciting. It It'll will be fun, fun. Yeah. yeah. So do you sort of go on your own and then just get picked up by the PR person and then just taken around? Um, in some in some instances, I mean, I, I lived in London for a few years during the 80s and I have a lot of friends there. So I'll be staying with a friend when I'm there. And I have a friend in Dublin as well, filmmaker friend and um, don't have any friends in Brighton, I'm afraid. But, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, in, in the places where I'm, I don't have friends, yeah, the, the PR people will hook me up with hotels and whoever is sponsoring the events, you know. Yeah. Oh, God, I hope you have a fantastic time. Thank and, you. Um, I'm sure you will. But um, yes, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting you know, oh, getting a hard copy as well. It'll be nice. I love the cover, by the way. I think the cover is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. They, they did a beautiful job with it. I was really happy. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Mm. But look, thank you ever so much, Adele. And, thank um, you. Have a lovely day. And I hope you, you too. take care. See you later. Such an enjoyable conversation. See you. <laughs> Bye. 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 And that, dear listener, is the end of the conversation. That's uh, me with um, in conversation with Adele Berté talking about her new book, Twisted, which is um, available from all good bookshops and also online on Z Books. Also, do check out Why LaBelle Matters, which is a book about um, Patti LaBelle and the Blue Bells. And um, yes, she's got a new single, a new single out, which is uh, all on streaming services and probably Bandcamp, but she might not be. So um, I might have made that up. Anyway, massive thank you to Adele for giving me the time for that. This has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And these have all been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.